elevation of conscience and repairing whatever one thinks needs to be repaired or looked at. Anyway, the reason I'm telling you all this is it's generally all full and has a waiting list. And I got an email yesterday that said, um, for a variety of reasons, there are now one or two beds available for that retreat. And there's Mark, who always comes to that retreat uh, that happens. So you don't need to be Jewish, is what I'm telling you. Uh, But it is distinctly in that tradition. And what Mark said is that, is that instead of telling Buddhist stories, we talk about the liturgy for this time of year. And, uh, and in the morning, as part of the sitting and walking and sitting and walking and sitting and walking, uh, in addition to that, there's an hour of chanting. And the chanting is chanting phrases out of uh, the morning liturgy in Hebrew, which is all provided for you um, in um, transliteration. So you don't have to worry about not reading Hebrew or speaking Hebrew, it tells you about it. And uh, it's fine. It's just another way of saying the Dharma. Uh, You want to give a testimony about it, Mark? You come every year. There you go. Anyway, that's a testimonial. <laughs> and I was going to say, it's nice people, but you won't know anyway because you don't talk to them. And, it's, <laughs> and the food is pretty good. Food is very good. And it's nice. To, it's nice to, it's the, uh, the building it's he- held in is Santa Sabina Center, which is the used to be the novitiate for the Dominican Order when they had young novices joining the order. My friend Mary was a novice there 60 years ago. Uh, so anyway, that's it. And if you want to know more about it, you can either uh, go online at the Awakened Heart Project or you can come up and see me and uh, ask me about how to call. I wish I had brought along the phone number, but I did, but it's not here, it's over there. So if you want to go, you come and ask me about it or go online and email the Awakened Heart Project. You can also do it as a commuter if it's too hard for you to leave your home um, and you live so everybody lives if, if you don't mind coming at six o'clock in the morning from home uh, and so it it's not very expensive and there are generous subsidies for people who need tuition assistance really generous subsidies so if you want to come come and uh, Norman and myself and two of our friends Okay, that's the end of the infomercial. Sorry about that. But I just had that news yesterday. Um, there was one other infomercial. No, this is not an infomercial. This is just to say it says in the... Uh, it currently says in the uh, list of who's teaching when that it's going to be announced who is teaching on September 5th, which is one, two, three weeks... I think three Wednesday. Anyway, it says TBA. It's me, so that's why I'm. So <laughs> that's why I'm telling you, so you can know about that. Now, uh, I'm looking around. Most people I know. Some people I don't know. 
for the people I don't know, who is here for the first time? Oh, I'm so pleased. What's your name? Stefania. Where do you, where are you from? Where do you live? Originally from Italy and San Rafael, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm happy about that. Good. And why did you come today? It was the kind of serendipity. My daughter takes a summer camp to a ranch nearby. Yeah. So it was like, oh, a big spirit drop is nearby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. That's that's very nice, Stefania. And uh, a lot, you know. I, it's a very curious, it's a lovely story because it's not exactly on the beaten track of places. You know, you really have to be going someplace obscure or specialized to be passing by. So welcome. Who else is here the first time? Yeah. Ah, that's that's terrific. I'm very happy about that. Tell me your name again. Richard. Richard, Richard from Taiwan, living in London, visiting a relative here. That's that's very nice. Every once in a while, I think of, you know, this has been an extraordinary last hundred years. A hundred years ago, people could not have said that kind of a thing. A hundred years ago. People stayed in their same village or maybe in the next village forever and ever. And what we don't move to now with our bodies, we we see on TV or we talk to on Skype. And it's just like they're there. Welcome. Who else is here? Mark from Michigan. I was here for a, uh, a wedding in Berkeley, a family member, and now staying up at Point Reyes for a few days hiking. That's great. That's great. Do you belong to a community in Michigan? Uh huh. So, do you connect with people online? Do you have a community? Just yourself. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of materials out from that group, but that's great. I've known him a long time. Um, that's one of the things you get to say. Sometimes people will say to me, "You know, who, you know, you met him, you knew him," you know, because I get to be among the people who actually saw so and so before they died a long time ago. But you have to be old to do that. It's one of the things about it. I realized that the other day when I said to somebody, oh yeah, I met him. Uh, I think we were talking about uh, Michael Pollan's new book, um, How to Change Your Mind. How many people read that? Oh, okay, well, we'll talk about it sometime. Will you, what did you think, Phyllis? It's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. So the history part, uh, Michael Pollan is a, an, a, an a kind of an anthropological journalist. Uh, he's written he's written things like um, the uh, uh, omnivore's dilemma and other things about what you eat. And this is a, a, a presentation of the history of working with consciousness with uh, pharmaceuticals that change consciousness. 
and uh, the history of their being legitimate and then not legitimate in this country. And it came up because Ralph Metzner was one of the people in league with uh, Tim Leary and uh, Richard Alpert in the original research that happened at Harvard. And Ralph Metzner is a friend of mine. And Tim Leary's not living anymore, but Ramdas, who was Alpert, lives in Hawaii. So I said, oh, I know. You know, It's lovely to play that game about, oh, I know. You know. It's nothing. I just happen to live in the same era as he. He's my same age. So, And it's a very interesting book. I'm not going to say how many people here in their life have done some experimentation with um, mind alterance. No, not to... Well, who had coffee this morning? Who had coffee this morning? There we go. We And put sugar in it. <laughs> Everybody mind-altered so far, probably, unless you didn't. <laughs> but the, the part of Michael Pollan's book that I liked the most was that his... Uh, the middle part of that book is a very frank and transparent presentation of his own... Um, experiences, I would say experimenting, in the world of psychotropic agents, mind-altering chemicals. And I thought it was written very kindly and thoughtfully and interestingly. So, anyway, there we go. I can't even remember how did we get to Michael Pollan... Oh, Wilbur. <laughs> and I said I knew Ken just when he was like 21 years old and had just written No Boundary. So that's a long time ago. Uh, who else has not been here before? Yeah. Uh, my name is Yeah. And I'm here today because finally I can. That's good. Tell me your name. Jane. Jane. Welcome. Oh. oh, so you have a community. That, that's your community. <laughs> uh -huh. We often hear use Thich some of Thich Nhat Hanh's gatas of breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I smile. Uh, Everybody is. Every everybody else has been here before. Are you yeah. Who hasn't been here before? Is that you? Oh, this is Fred from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. This is a Michigan morning. Huh? Yeah. Are you from Michigan also, Ann Arbor? All right. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Somebody will right away break out with a Michigan fight song. So <laughs> okay. Huh? He grew up in Detroit. There we go.
let it never be said that Buddhists are particularly solemn. <laughs> I am very glad that we are starting this morning with laughing. How many people found the last several days of news and world events quite tedious? <laughs> so, uh, I want to start with usually, but there is no usually anymore. Um, usually at this point, if Ace were here, he said, Sylvia, everybody has to turn to the person next to them and tell them hello and greet them. In a, I'd, I'd like for that to happen, but not quite yet. I want to, uh, I want to have Laura show um, a, a YouTube clip from a trailer from 19, uh, 2016. Uh, and... Uh, It'll be right behind me. It's only three minutes long. And I, I want us to see that first. I, I only saw it this morning. And uh, I, I saw it because my son sent me an email. I said yesterday, I said, you know, the, the, um, the news is so dispiriting these days. And um, I went to see da- Black Klansman two days ago. Because, who saw it? I went to see it because I thought, well, it's Monday, you know, and I'm thinking about what will I talk about Wednesday. So I went to find something to talk about, and it left me speechless, literally. So I thought, you know, what can I say? So I was thinking about that yesterday because it's a very, very powerful movie. I'm going to talk about it, and that we'll talk later. But it's two days later, and I can't talk about it. And... uh, then this morning, my son sent me a, a, this email he, uh, by the email, and he said, um, you should watch this before you teach today. So we should all watch this before I teach today. Let's see what it says. Go, Laura. Or go, Bill. Yes, I can, suddenly, yes, I can Gee, I'm afraid to go on as turned into Yes, I can, take a look, what do you see? 133 pounds of confidence, me Got the feeling I can do anything Yes, I can, something that sings in my blood is telling me Yes, I can
I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Hey, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Are you ready? I can climb Everest. Yes, I can. I can fight here all night and never rest. Yes, I can. I was just born today. I can go all the way. Yes, Okay, now take a deep breath in and out and say hello to the person next to you and maybe a person you don't know. Two people can talk, three people can talk. Here you go, here's a person. That's a killer. Isn't that good? Isn't that amazing? I wanna, I'm going to talk about uh-huh. that. That's like amazing. The most amazing thing people can do is they yeah. can have compassion on each other. Yeah. This is amazing, but people could be really amazing. Yeah. They could start forgiving each other for being terrible yeah. and make a new world. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. Okay. Do you saw my phone? Was that again? Did you see my phone? Oh, so for, I'm sorry, I got, got involved. In no, 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 no. I apologize. Let's no, see. No, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah, I just don't want to forget it. Yeah. If I want to show that again later, can you do that? Yeah, we can yeah. do that. Okay. Uh, it takes a minute to warm up the... Are your combat fatigues really? Are you a are you a veteran? No, it's just something that I find very comfortable. <laughs> I was going to. Okay, okay. I was going to honor you.
Let's do an experiment. Let's sit right now. And we'll sit, and I'll give you some instructions as we're sitting. And then later on, we'll talk about this experience before and after. So I want to talk about it before we sit and feel about it. If we had just, uh, if we had done what we normally do, which is talk to somebody else and say hello, that would be good. We often do that. We usually do that. It wakes you up and you get some energy in your body. I'm thinking that uh, that was, uh, uh, at least for me, an energizing tape. So So make yourself as comfortable as you can be. Feel your breath coming in and out of your body. I wonder if uh, you find that you're breathing faster than normal. If your heart was beating faster, you're probably breathing a little bit more to keep up with it. You don't have to do anything about changing anything. Your body settles itself. It has a way of settling itself down from excited and settling itself up from sleepy just by paying attention and relaxing in this moment. This is my body. This is a body. This is a mind that cognizes, recognizes This is what's happening. Breath is going in, breath is going out. Breath is going in, breath is going out. Just rest in awareness of what's happening. And awareness of change. Breath in is different from breath out. Excited is one feeling and settling down is another feeling, breathing fast and breathing slow are different. Just rest in your body changing moment to moment, making itself comfortable. Thoughts come and go, thoughts come and go. Let the mind and body assume its natural peace and ease. Only notice if something happens to disturb the peace and ease. And if that happens, notice it, take a deep breath in, let it out, and then rest again in that peace and ease.
You can do very small things to wake up your attention and refocus the moment to one of resting and ease. You can do that by uh, saying to yourself in a moment of uh, being aware that your mind has gotten carried away with a long string of stories or has fallen asleep or gotten preoccupied with something, not the ease of the moment, by saying to yourself, relax. It's a favorite of instruction of a Dharma teacher in Missouri whose work I've been reading. He says, I say to my group of people, what's ever going on? Relax. Which seems like such a, well, you know, easier said than done. But if I say it to myself, my mind just drops whatever it's doing. It says, okay, I'll relax. And the other way that I find is very helpful is an instruction from Thich Nhat Hanh where he'll say, remember to smile. And if I remember to smile at that moment, my face relaxes and my mind relaxes. And whatever caught its attention falls away. So relax and smile. And this is just abiding, relaxing, letting your mind catch its breath in this turmoiled world.
We'll sit a little bit more, but it's become, and it's become our custom over the last years to um, invite anybody who wants to to speak into the communal space thoughts that they're having on behalf of people in their lives who are in some particularly tender place, a place of uh, uh, great wonder and genuine delight and happiness and a place of difficulty. I'm, I'm particularly finding, I'm thinking this morning about a friend of mine who told me yesterday that uh, he's been diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's disease and he's 10 years younger than I am. And uh, the first drug that he was given for it turns out to... Uh, he's allergic to it and he can't take it. And the only and it's really the only drug that's been shown to substantially uh, lower the rate of progression of Alzheimer's. So he's doubly disappointed and I'm thinking about him a lot since he told me. So if you want to speak into the room some... someone who's on your mind...
pregnant with her second child. a teacher now living in the homeless encampment all of his neighbors in that same encampment how hard it is to get help thinking of four friends of mine. One who had bypass heart surgery yesterday. One who is dealing with and two who after 50 years of marriage are getting a divorce. 
I'm also thinking <coughs> of great, of, with great joy and anticipation of a concert this afternoon that my niece and her new husband of a year are giving at Friends House for my mother and all the other residents there. They are professional opera singers and they are here in town and they're giving this gorgeous concert and I get to be the page turner and sing a little part myself, but it's just so, such a happy occasion. I'm thinking about how glad I am that we have this space to share together and sit with each other. And bring ourselves and our hearts to our communal space to nourish each other. Really to I'm sure for you as it does for me, augment my courage for just whatever it is that we need to continue to do in this world. May all beings have people who care about them and think about them and take care of them. May everyone take care of themselves and each other out of the natural compassion that's part of the human heart. I thought about not ringing the bell. I thought that um, maybe sometime I won't ring it. I remember the last time I said I'm not ringing because it's all one piece. And some people said, oh, we like ringing. And the other people said, oh, we like not ringing. So I had the stick in my hand and I thought, do I like ringing or not ringing? (laughs) Ring, ring. I think we do each other a great favor to come here and provide a resonant space. We don't have to know each other really personally, but I have said so many times, there's no end to the saying, that I think the most important thing that gets said, uh, most people think, okay, we, we meditate and then in the second hour we have a Dharma talk. I think the last 10 minutes was the Dharma talk. That really, in case 
in case anybody forgot, this is the way the world is. Everybody's in the middle of something, punctuated by the beauty of the world and the uh, extraordinariness of uh, vitality and catamarans to Hawaii, uh, that we don't actually even have to be, or Tahiti, even better, we don't have to be on them to get lifted up by it. Somebody went to Tahiti on a catamaran. I was very glad to have that video this morning. I didn't watch it until uh, oh, uh, 15 minutes before class. And uh, my son called me and he said, uh, I sent you a video link. Be sure to watch it. It'll be good for you before the class. So I started to watch it upstairs. And then I came down and I found Laura and, and Bill. I said, can we show this? And it's only three minutes, and uh, I'll talk for a little bit, but uh, I think it was the right thing to show it, the first thing. There's a lot of research now on what you do, what people do before they sit down to meditate, uh, making a difference in not only whether or not their meditation period was serene or pleasant, but whether it was alert and open to wisdom. Really, it's not about having a pleasant trip or just being soothed. It's about really waking up and being uh, really confirmed in a sense of, uh, this is like telling the end of the story on the first page, that compassion is the only response in the world. I probably have said this, I don't know how many times here, that when I teach new teachers, tell me if this is better. This is better. You know what, Bill? It'd be good to have a piece of uh, tape. I turn my head too much and it keeps falling off. Uh, I've I've been telling people for a little bit of time that uh, I'm hopeful that sometime uh, we'll stop calling this mindfulness meditation and we'll call it the compassion meditation Uh, because it it actually is, we think of compassion as something, so Pam, come around and put this over here, yeah. There you go. Thank you very much. Is that better? Yeah, okay. We'll do it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll try this at the end and we'll see. Um, Many of you have heard me say over the years that I think it's an unnecessary misnomer misnomer and misleading to uh, say, now I'm going to go on a mindfulness retreat and now I'm going to go on a metta, a loving-kindness retreat because it makes it sound like it's two different things. And the technique on a loving-kindness retreat as it's manifested, at least in the West here, is that uh, you learn certain blessings of 
of well-being, aspirations for oneself and other people. May I feel safe, may I feel happy, may I feel strong, may I live with ease is one of them. And may you feel safe and happy and strong and live with ease. And you spend your days here, your contemplative time, sitting or walking, repeating those phrases to yourself all the time. And people say, how much metta do you do every day? And I think what they mean is how much time every day do you spend reciting those phrases? And I think that the I would like to interpret the word metta, which it really translates most into English as loving kindness, which is a funny word. We don't have that except in Victorian prayer books. That's the only place I've ever seen it. In the phrase, vouchsafe your loving kindness to us, O Lord. I don't know, we don't say vouchsafe anymore. And we don't say loving kindness. I, I, think, I think it's kind awareness, loving awareness, um, kind awareness, I think would be the best thing. But uh, that what we're really trying to do, mindfulness sounds like... Uh, a little bit like it comes from again from Victorian translations of uh, of the of the suttas, and uh, it means pay attention. In London, when you get off the the plane, it says uh, the train. It says mind the gap. Uh, you know, just watch where you're going, uh, and uh, so it means pay attention. But it's not just paying attention. It's paying attention with the intention of being able to have the mind poised. I like particularly the meditation practice that we did this morning of relax, be at ease. That doesn't mean fall asleep or don't pay attention. Pay attention from a place of ease and balance so that when inevitably we're distracted by, "Uh uh-oh, I don't like this, or "Uh uh-oh, I do like this and I want some, that we could be able to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to be distracted by these. I'm going to notice them and notice what would be a wise way to respond to these things rather than to be pushed away, pushed around actually, moved from one place to another by uh, unconscious motivations that we haven't examined. I mean, it's perfectly... Uh, <laughs> they could be perfectly harmless. I mean, if I'm walking outside back and forth doing walking meditation and I find myself suddenly standing in front of the water fountain having a drink of water, that's perfectly fine. But if I, And if I go back and I check, I see that what was happening, I was walking back and forth and feeling at ease and at ease and at ease and at ease and thirstiness arose and thirstiness arose and unpleasant moments are happening and uh, a memory of the water fountain that's just in the corner an image of it comes up in my mind and my body turns and goes towards the water fountain I mean it's a normal thing (laughs) my dog comes into my kitchen 20 times a day to see if something new materialized in his bowls and see you know that we're 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 wired that way that's all right none of those is destructive behaviors uh, maybe if I, I I can't even think of an analogy which not might, might not be so wholesome. Uh, if somebody else is doing walking meditation and they left their cup of tea over here, it might be not so appropriate for me to take their cup of tea because it's right here and it smells good and it's better to go to the water fountain. 
But that's such a minor thing to think about the responses that we make to certain stimuli and how the we might choose the wrong response and our own agitation, if the response is strong enough, could so cloud the mind that we could forget what's wise and not wise. That's part of what I really am going to come around to say. Anyway, I want to finish the sentence I I half said. I said um, that I thought that um, someday we'll stop saying that uh, there is mindfulness and there is loving-kindness meditation. People say things like, I like mindfulness practice. I would go to a mindfulness retreat. But the loving-kindness, loving-kindness gets on my nerves, people say. Which is such a funny thing, a peculiar thing to say. Like, sweetness and goodwill gets on my nerves. (laughs) Can't stand that sweetness and goodwill. But I think what they mean is I don't like that practice of the repetition of phrases over and over again. And actually, you have to know how to work with the phrases because when you get tired, the phrases start sounding bizarre and you don't know what you're saying. They're a practice technique, like all the techniques are practice techniques. But I think that that every technique is... In the, in the practice of mindfulness, every technique is designed to soothe the mind and at the same time wake it up and sharpen its awareness capability, make it more clear and capable of really um, grokking what's happening. Not just to do that, to grok what's happening in a clear way, but in order to be able to respond in a way that does not create suffering for yourself or other people and in order actually to alleviate suffering for yourself and others. I think that's the whole definition. There's um, uh, the second chapter in a book called The Heart of Buddhist Meditation by, I think, Nyanapanakatera, I'm not sure. The Heart of Buddhist Meditation. The the first chapter is about what is mindfulness and how to practice it. And the second chapter is called Clear Comprehension of Purpose. Clear Comprehension of Purpose. What's the purpose that we're doing this? Over the years of talking with people uh, and being on debate panels, people bring up, you know, if mindfulness is really being able to have stable and very keen attention, unflappable attention, the uh, the people who go to Las Vegas because they know how to memorize all the cards and win at gambling and eventually have to get banned from the casinos when people see that they're... Uh, they say, well, isn't that mindfulness? They're paying such attention. People... Uh, People who uh, steal from buildings, they go, they used to call them second story burglars. You know, they go, they open a window, they go in, they go to the safe, they listen to the safe, they can hear so carefully, and they're calm under situations. Isn't that mindfulness, paying attention to every single thing? Say, so I think that the definition of mindfulness falls short when it says paying attention to every moment as it arises as fully as you can with a balanced mind in order to be able to respond. I think that everything hangs on that point of intention, that the intention is to prevent or relieve suffering for yourself and for other people, because in the end, that's what's liberating. That 
keeping one's own mind clear and free of remorse or guilt. And I think it's all based on the wisdom that that's really the only sure antidote to suffering, is wisdom. And it's wisdom that really is embodied in the first noble truth, that that uh, life is dukkha, it's continually challenging I don't like to say suffering, which is also, I think, a not full uh, translation of the meaning of dukkha. Uh, it's a, I think it's a poor translation of the word. Uh, life is an uncomfortable... The, the, the people who explain the root of the word in Pali, the word is dukkha for the quality of life, is, uh, it's, uh, it describes the axle of an ox cart. And some people say a ride in an ox cart, in a wooden ox cart over a bumpy mountain road pulled by an ox, I guess, would be a bumpy ride. And they said, life is a bumpy ride. It is a bumpy ride. You finish with one bump and the next bump is coming and then the next bump is coming. And you have to keep shifting to, you know. But that's not a, you know, that's that's just the way it is. I mean... Uh, I used to have a friend who used to say in a kind of a glib way, if you want it otherwise you came to the wrong planet. You know, but and in a way that's true. Anything that takes life is doing that. But in, in fact, on this planet, there's the whole discussion about for some people, the ride in, on a physical plane is much more comfortable than for other people. We're not all living with the same degree of physical comfort. We don't all of us have access to material goods and housing and a roof on the head and safety from uh, uh, hurricanes. Finally, the lights are all on in Puerto Rico, and it's more than a year. There's an article in this morning's New York Times about a woman with three children in a mountain village that finally the lights are on and the generator can work and but a year and we're coming up on hurricane season again so uh, so it's a bumpier road physically it's a bumpier road if you're born with some or one or another infirmity and yet it, it's a long time till you get better it's a bumpier road if you have clinical depression in your genes uh, um, something I read recently said that the line uh, in, uh, I guess it's the Declaration of Independence, that uh, all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that the start. So you could have such an entire day discussing, first of all, I'm sure it didn't actually in the beginning mean men and women, but okay, we could change that to all people are created equal. But they're not, you know. Some people are born with healthier genes. Some people are born with problematic genetics. Some people are born with all kinds of things or in circumstances that are problematic. If you grew up in Pittsburgh when it was a coal town, your lungs look different than if you grew up in Santa Barbara, two miles from the ocean, that everything affects who you are, who this is, who it becomes. 
I still didn't finish my thing about when I, you know, sometime in my lifetime, people will say, this is mindfulness. It's based on an intention to alleviate suffering and not create any, based on the wisdom that life is already a bumpy ride. And it's that way for everybody because even with the best of, the most felicitous of circumstances and physical health, we're going to lose things. We all, we all of us have lost our childhood. I, I don't imagine any of us could hop from here to the other side of the room. I tried jumping rope in the gym the other day. And uh, I had the trainer that I work with stand next to me. I said, in case I fall or trip or something, you catch me. He said, I'm sure you can do it. So I can hop, I can jump, one jump. But it's terrifying because, and I just managed it. So I said, all right, this was, the whole thing was an exercise in vanity. So I can say, look, I can still jump rope. I can't. That's the way it is. So that's not, that's not terrible. Things change. But the mind is always looking for what can I, something special about me. Things that were special, like hopping across the room or jumping rope. You can't do it. None of us were young. Uh, None of us has, uh, well, I don't know. We're all different ages. Not everybody's old. But many of us, (laughs) many of us have, uh, are, many of us are mature. Many of, some of us are more mature than others. <laughs> and Marty's mother is going to be 100 years old in two weeks. And Jashoda's mother is 101. She's 101 almost. Lives by herself. Some of us last very long. And my friend yesterday has found out that he has Alzheimer's and he's in his early 70s. And the woman my father married after my mother died had Alzheimer's in her mid-50s. All kinds of things happen to people. When we sit together in that period of time when people are talking about who's on your mind, the biggest lesson that I have from all of that from listening, sometimes I know the person's voice who's speaking and sometimes I don't sometimes I peek to see who it is I try not to look because I want everybody to have their private space to feel free to share but I think to myself so many things happen to people who would have thought this or that or the other somebody's allergic to Aricept you know that um, what a peculiar double whammy you know that uh, I think that eventually what this is... So anyway, I was going to say, there is no loving-kindness practice apart from mindfulness of the fact that life is a very bumpy, challenging road. We are all in it. Even with every comfort and the best health, people we love will die before us and we'll miss them. Or we'll die before them and we'll have the knowledge if we don't die quite suddenly that we're never going to be with those wonderful people again I think that what the, one of the sadnesses about uh, thinking about that I find amongst my contemporaries people are saying well 
you, you, know, you don't have any great-grandchildren yet, but you might. So that's one of the things you get to look forward to, I hope I have. But you could always hope you had something else. Well, I, but I, I hope I'll wait to see when they grow up whether or not they're the people who discover the way to clean up the atmosphere or clean up the rivers or what. You can't wait for anything at any age. This is it, because we don't know. You never know. You remember some weeks earlier in this year, we stayed a lot on that particular Zen story of the monk hanging on the side of a cliff on a vine with a rushing river below and a tiger snarling on the top and a mouse gnawing away on the rope that it, on the vine and the strawberry growing out of the cliff and the monk eating the strawberry and saying, this is very good. And that being a lesson for life, that we're all hanging on the rope all the time. We don't know. Every time we say, I'll see you later, we don't know. But in the meantime, there are strawberries all over the place. I want this eventually to get called mindfulness meditation, maybe, on the way to, because I wanted to subsume the the practice of loving kindness because I think it's built on the compassionate wisdom that everybody suffers from loss, from aging, from disappointment, from disappointment of loving someone who's dear to you and they suddenly die and they're just not in your life anymore. The big major disappointments to very minor disappointments. I like to watch... Um, um, World Cup soccer or World Series or uh, um, lots of football, Super Bowls. And uh, I like to watch uh, particularly at the end of games when the winning team is all over each other and just so excited. And I, in, the, in the baseball World Series, they often pan over to the dugout at the end and here's the people on the defeated team sitting. Like it's, and I really feel like saying to them, or maybe have a, a voice into the loser's dugout saying, listen, it's all right, it's only a game. You made tons of money this year. You'll be back next year. Think about it, it's just a game. But those are the small losses, but the big losses, losing people that we love, and losing them suddenly, you can't get used to it. You know, there's like a hole punched in the wall of your life where there used to be somebody and they're not there. And everybody has that, regardless of the circumstance. And I think that in the end, we'll stop making two different kinds of mindfulness and loving kindness. We'll say, it is all mindfulness of the presence or absence of compassion and goodwill in your mind. That's what it is, mindfulness of the presence or absence of goodwill in your mind. And that eventually we'll call it compassion meditation because it all is. Even if, not even if, if, it all is. Um, if in the moment my mind, um, as let's say I'm sitting here and... Um, I remember um, I remember something that I wished I'd said last night in a conversation or I wished I hadn't said one way or the other. And I'm sitting here easily and breath is in and out and I'm 
just resting in the quiet and the serenity of this room. And all of a sudden I remember, oh, I wish I'd said, or I wish I hadn't said, but so-and-so had said this first. Uh, then I said that, and but I didn't really mean it the way it came out and what did they think. Maybe I should call them later and say that. Uh, and if I find that, and if I suddenly am mindful of the knot that my mind has tied itself into, I'm mindful of a moment of suffering, and say to myself, wait, what are you doing? And it drops just like that. Said, it happened. Here you are, relax. It's just a thought. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. These are people who love you, you love them. Relax, it's nothing. Take a breath, take another breath. That's a compassionate act for myself. It's a moment of mindfulness. That's a compassion for myself because that little story, if you didn't do it right, you didn't... Da, 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 that little story is painful. Might have enough big pain in the world about is there going to be a world by the time my grandchildren are mature or their children grow up. I think it's all going to get called compassion meditation. I was thinking also this morning, I want to read, whoa, it's 11.30. I was thinking, and I want to talk about the effect of watching that film. But I was, I was thinking this morning, I was thinking yesterday. Well, wait, that's out of order. I thought it this morning. When I finally figured, I was thinking yesterday, what am I going to teach about tomorrow? Because I was so blown away by that movie the day before. It's a stunning movie. It's, how many people saw it? That, is it not a stunning... It's stunning in the sense that when it's over, you can't get out of your seat. You just sit there. And here comes... The, the people get up and they leave. And the ushers are coming in with their little brooms and sweeping up the popcorn. And you're still sitting there. And you realize you have to get up and walk out. You can't just sit there. Um, so I got up and walked out uh, finally and called my husband and said listen you have 20 minutes to get to the next show go to the, go to the movies because we have to talk about this later so he went to the movie and it was the subject of a conversation with dinner with friends last night four other people and the two of us and I proposed that same thing I said you know I don't know what to say. So now we're going to come back to the word compassion and I'm going to finish one more sentence that I didn't finish before. When I teach new teachers to teach and I I mentor numbers of new people who are coming up and teaching, uh, one of the things that they ask, they've, they've all been through years of meditation practice and teaching in local groups and leading groups and assisting here on retreats and and uh, one of the things that they worry about or that they ask about sometimes is they say, you know, I'm fine to make a Dharma talk and go and deliver the Dharma talk or to give instructions and to sit in front of people. But I have a little bit of anxiety when I say to a group after I've taught something, uh, do you have any questions? Because what if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to? So... First of all, there's a super answer, which I haven't thought about yet to tell them. But it's happened to me a few times, and someone asks a really seriously intriguing question. 
And I will be, I'll, I'll find myself wanting to say, you know, I'm not sure how I want to answer that. I don't know. I'll think about it. And maybe in a couple of minutes it'll come to me. But I really feel like I, I want to be careful about that. And I don't want to be glib either. But I tell them all that don't worry about it. Whatever anybody asks, the answer is compassion. Just, it's like playing Jeopardy backwards with a Jeopardy board with every single thing, that, every single answer that's covered. And the answer is Jeopardy. And you say, oh, so the answer is compassion. And then once you say that, you'll have to start at the other end or that end and work your way back to that person's question or work yourself from the person's question back to compassion. But the answer will always be compassion because that is the bottom line of what we're doing here. We are conditioning our hearts to be awake enough to recognize the omnipresence of suffering in everyone's life. I've been reading uh, a book by Colin McCann called 13 Ways of Looking. It's another stunning book. It's a, it says one novella and three short stories. And... Uh, uh, I'm telling it to you, I want to talk about it a little bit, but in case I don't get up to it today, I really want to tell it to you, because so, I just found it. Well, someone told me about it, and then I got it. And each of those sh- short stories leaves you thinking, huh, really? I'll tell you just one one of them, so I don't leave it in the air. One of the short stories is about a woman, the protagonist is a woman named Beverly, who's an older nun. She's a sister in a particular order of nuns. Uh, uh, Probably um, Latina, fundamentally Spanish-speaking. And it it seems like from... um, a Central American country, but those are just hints. Uh, you don't actually know. You do, you do know that as a young woman, she was kidnapped by a man and held as people sometimes are by revolutionary groups, young women. She was held and seriously, seriously abused by a man in one of these groups for some period of time. And it's a short story, so you don't know how long. But long enough and hurt enough to spend her whole life dealing with the kind of uh, flashbacks and PTSD and falling apart and emotional breakdowns. And at the same time, teaching school in uh, a Texas city, let's say Tucson or something, in a parochial school for young girls. And it, it, it was, we, we're reading about her. Well, she's really older. She's watching television in a, in a uh, refuge center for uh, nuns who are needing to recuperate from... She's had another bout of her traumatic depression. And they're watching television, and uh, they're watching uh, a debate of politicians in London who are... Uh, uh, talking about the work that they're doing in the world. And one of them is the head of a, 
a workers' union working for miners' rights and a union leader and uh, working for peace in the world. And she recognizes him as the man who abused her 50 years before or 40 years before. And she becomes... She needs to go and confront him and talk to him and tell him she's alive and uh, show him the scars on her body from him. And she puts together the money and flies to London and... uh, figures out where he's going to be at a certain meeting and is in the, or in his office building and she's waiting next door in a diner having tea, figuring out how she's going to go there, in, and he comes in. You want to know the rest? (laughs) They have a confrontation that's quite dramatic and he refuses to recognize who she is. And she tells him who he, And you can see he knows that it's her. Anyway, after some confrontation, back and forth, back and forth, he leaves, goes out and gets into an SUV and is driven away. But before he goes away, he, comes, gets, he stops the car, has his driver stop, comes in, looks around, and there are flashing red lights and there are cameras all over the place as they are all over the world taking pictures and so now he's on tape being accused by the person that he has savagely treated decades and decades ago and being denounced and it's on tape so there's proof and he goes away and she thinks about it thinks about what she could do with the tape, what she could do, confront him, go on television. And she decides not to. And she talks to the the person in the diner and says, um, could you give me that tape? He said, well, there's actually no tape, actually. It's all digital and it's all recorded. So... But he realized, and he said, you know, nobody will see it. So she says, that's okay then. And she leaves and goes back to Houston. And I, I, that story and the other stories in here leave me stunned. What would I do? What could I do? What should I do? What should she have done? When do you forgive people? So anyway... All of the stories in here are like that. So with these six people last night, I said I went to the movie and I don't know what to say. I'm not going to tell you all about the movie because I think you need to go see it. I don't want to be a spoiler about it. So they, at the end of the... I started by saying I don't know what I'm going to say about it because when I was stunned by the end of it. It's a story... And, and basically, it's a true story. I don't... It's actually set in the movie in Colorado Springs. I don't actually know that that's actually where the story took place. But there was a place where a young black man applies for a job on the previously all-white police force and convinces the chief and uh, uh, a man who's um, another black man, a dignitary in the, in the community, I guess, to give him the job. And 
that it's a very nothing kind of a job in the mail room or something. One particular person treats him very vilely. Everybody else is... And from three minutes into the movie, I was already tense. And the movie is more than... It's two hours long, really two hours. I kept thinking, I hope this is one of those movies that's an hour and 33 minutes or something. <laughs> and there was no way that I would have left because I, was, I wanted to see it. I was transfixed by it. But from three minutes in until the end, I was like totally tense. Weren't you the people who went? Wasn't it like totally spellbinding? It's amazing. Anyway, in the story, which is actually a true story, he subsequently says, I'd like to be an undercover police officer and investigate. And he, he is given a job and two people to work with uh, to investigate as undercover people uh, an impending visit of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, including David Duke, to that city. And that's how the, the film unrolls. Not supposed to do anything, just collect info. And uh, what he does as to begin the uh, infiltration of this group is he would like to infiltrate the group, but um, he can't because he's black. Uh, so he calls uh, the local person, and uh, uh, oh, he uh, he calls the local person. He gives his real name and says, I'd like you. I saw the ad in the paper. I saw the ad in your paper for a rally coming up and I'd like some information about it. Could you tell me about it? And he gets a call back and then they start in. And, and they said, Well, you could come to the rally. You know, what, what, you could come and meet us and we'll see if you can come to the rally. What's your name? And inadvertently gives him the real name. So it ends up that he and his colleague in the undercover, are going to follow this through, and the colleague will go as him with his name. And that's how it unfolds. And it has to do with how do you infiltrate a Ku Klux Klan conclave, not in the Deep South, in Colorado Springs. How do you infiltrate a a local cell? Uh, how uh, How do you stand in the midst of uh, um, where the prevailing culture is so venal, it's it, it's toxic to look at and impossible to hear that people say these kinds of things to each other. And all the while, uh, his uh, his colleague is having to say the same kind of horrendous rhetoric of hatred to get himself infiltrated. His colleague is a Jew. And one of the things you have to say when you're getting sworn into the clan, apparently, is you have to say, I was born right. I am not a Jew. It's really, it's really chilling. It's happening in the United States of America. Anyway, that's the story. Really, I don't want to tell you any more. Except at the end of the movie, it does spend the last five minutes of the movie on a uh, uh, newsreel from and TV uh, footage from after Charlottesville. Um, 
And so the conversation last night is I was saying, you know, uh, I said I don't know what to make of uh, the idea that when your mind when your mind is clear, your heart is open. As I've been saying that for forty years, I teach that when your mind is clear, then your heart becomes open. It's a little simplistic, you know, that if you see clearly, you respond. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, if you see clearly, you look at a person, you say, that's a person. I'm a person. That person has to be like me. They go home. They want to be with their family. They want to have birthday cake. They want to sing happy birthday. They want to bury their dead. They want to birth their new people into their family. They rejoice at good things. They're a person just like me. And I look at that and I think, it's not a person just like me. And then somebody said during the evening, you're othering. I said, I am, you know, othering, you know. Because um, it's not like I don't recognize this, uh, is what I was saying. I don't recognize it. It's not the friends, you know. If I ask a room full of all my friends, if I ask you all, um, is it not true for you? That's loading the question. But is it true for you? That at a period of time when you're at ease, after we've all been sitting for an hour or a half hour or two hours, don't you, if you think about people, hold them in a somewhat sweeter light or a little bit of a more spacious holding? I find that if there are people who, in my general life, I've had some little edge on, when I think about them and my mind is really relaxed, I think about them, I think, you know, they were born that way. Well, they learned that from their family. Well, they were having a bad day. My mind is more forgiving when it's not that tense. Isn't that true for you? Is it true for you that when your mind is easy, you feel kind? I think that's true. And there are people in that movie who get excited about the idea of committing murder. And I think, well, those aren't really people. So, and some of my friends were saying, you know, the whole answer is always compassion for everybody. I can't believe it, because last night I was saying, no, no, there's limits. All right, compassion for people, but that's not even people, these people. Anyway... On my way driving here this morning, I thought, they are people, those people. They're people who have been terribly, terribly warped in their thinking. And really, the, the only thing is compassion. Not even for them specifically, but for all of us in this world. That we have, we have really evolved as human beings so that as a species we can do amazing things we can talk many of us more than in more than one language we can we can write music we can um, invent things we can go to the moon and we haven't gotten over being able to deal with othering and our primal fears about othering seems to be like the biggest handicap if people don't seem like us.
But it did. My mind actually went from place A to place B. I thought, of course the answer is, is compassion. Compassion for myself that I'm in such pain looking at the, the, really the rudeness of the world and the pain in the world. I, I came in and wrote down the name of what, it, what I thought this talk was going to be about. And uh, then on the way, when I got here this morning, I checked my email and there was this email from my son. He said, watch this video. So I watched the video. So I, had anybody missed the video because you came in after it? Anybody missed the video? One, a couple of people came, I thought came after the video. You missed the video? You missed the video? You want to see the video again? No, you had enough video? Uh, maybe we'll see the video at the very end. It's a vid- it, The video, if we don't see it, is called uh, We Are the Superheroes. And it's uh, a uh, trailer from a movie about the 2016 Paralympics, Paralympics in Rio de Janeiro. That's what's the name of it. And it's on YouTube. YouTube. We Are the Superheroes is what it's called. And it, it, I, I saw that. I began to listen. I went upstairs because I had a few minutes early and I started to watch that video. And I thought, I need to have that played for me on a big screen first and for everybody. Because I wanted, first of all, when you saw it, now I, want to, now I want you to talk to me a little bit. When you saw it, what did you think? What did you feel? Yeah, yeah, here comes, here comes Anne with that. I felt like I've seen that in my career, and for some reason, I was supposed to it help heal me, you know, like kids that had CP, that had chronic respiratory, that, you know, they should have this anxiety. Like, I, you know, I get anxiety, like you say, with being around certain people, yeah. and yet they have this horrendous illness, and they're not... They're sweet. Yeah. And they're accepting. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they zoom through to maturity. A two-year-old who has chronic cancer and everything and horrible yeah. things, and yet their maturity, it was, it was chilling to me like at City of Hope. I like, the, I like the expression, zoom through to maturity. I would like to think that uh, with the planet in such crisis, that... Uh, that a lot of the planet could suddenly zoom through to maturity. And there's an article in the paper this morning about certain cities that are saying, okay, zero emissions by this date, zero use of, zero messing up the, zero cars that, that, uh, you, uh, that pollute, zero this, zero that. We could start now. Uh, what else did you think about the film? How did you feel when you saw the film? Hmm? Inspired. Hmm. I felt gratitude that such incredible artists made that movie. Yeah. I think that the, the gratitude for... I was thinking about um, how inspiring it is to see virtuosity. I mean, it's hard enough to do downhill skiing or uh, tap dancing if you have all 
a regular working body. To do tap dancing with a prosthesis is really, you know, you think about the skills that people could have. All right, so the name of what I wanted to talk about is the most awesome skill we have is getting over otherness. That we, should, that we could somehow get over that these people are loathsome or those people who lo- are loathsome. And I should get over that they are loathsome, those people. That everybody's a person afflicted with their um, craziness. Or well, not craziness, not a good word. Afflicted with who they are. We got to be who we are because of where we are, who brought us up, what our genetics is. We don't get to choose any of that. And here were these people that I... I realized afterwards that I, what was stunned me is that it frightened me that people can be so opaque about being hateful and not have a, an awareness of it. What else do you think about it? There. I have to call all my friends, by the way, to say, excuse me, the answer is compassion. And <laughs> well, yeah, I felt, I felt really touched and also inspired. And I was just thinking, it's so, I think it's so important if you to remember what you're fighting for. It's so easy to focus on what you're fighting against. But like humanity and compassion and art and all the things that were beautifully demonstrated in that film like that's the other practice is like to fill up on to fill up on that kind of things a lot of people are telling me that they go to bed at night after they watch a few films of of, uh, videos of elephants and um, giraffes because they have very particularly friendly behavior with each other someone was telling me they about oh no this morning I was hearing from who was it told me about? Oh, Elizabeth was telling me that that uh, ranchers who move horses do it always in pairs because they they make bonding pairs and they take care of each other and they know each other and that uh, maybe everybody's taking. I remember what I was moved to say when we were talking about our friends this morning and relatives is may everybody take care of each other that things take care of each other. Yeah. There's Pam with a microphone. So um, I was thinking about what you said about other when you when we watched the film, because just as we might say the Ku Klux Klan is other, we might say that these incredible superhumans are other. So I know you're using it as a way of pushing away from people, but aren't we selling ourselves short too? Because we just talked about how much everyone was sharing about the friend that was suffering or how they're suffering for family and friends. So I was thinking the compassion part for ourselves is not to see ourselves so distant from these amazing um, disabled people who have done so much. So Exactly so. Exactly so. I wasn't thinking about... Um, I was thinking about the uh, introductory, the song that the the singer sings with that band that starts it. Yes, we can, mm-hmm. you know that. And I was thinking of that particularly about my own thoughts about maybe there's, you know, maybe the balance of power between really people who 
are so stuck in their mindset and the people who really... But, but already I'm making of those people and my people, like the evil empire and the not evil empire. Maybe we are all people stuck in life. That was how I finally ended up. We're all people stuck in life. And whether I'm a perpetrator of evil or a liver in the world of evil, I really, I, I really feel for all of us we could have compassion of living in a world where there is terrible stuff going on. And people are terribly unkind and vicious with each other. And they're also in a world with people who overcome tremendous lim- physical limitations. So I'm, I'm thinking that, that human beings as a species has to overcome the limitation of thinking themselves different, as you say, from anybody else. We're all inhabitants of the earth. As I was sitting and meditating, the very last thing I was thinking before I rang the bell was I couldn't remember where it was from. But I think it's from Dickens' a Christmas Carol where someone says, God bless us one and all. Isn't that Christmas Carol? Dickens? Tiny but, Tim. Mm-mm? Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim says, God bless us one and all. Everybody, those people in that movie and me and everybody, everybody on this earth, because we share it. And I can't, you know, I, I, I find myself, um, there's a lot, there's been a, there's a, certainly a lot of talk about everybody lives in their own particular silo of getting the news and in their own particular identity group. I also, I realize, live in a silo of people who feel the way I do uh, about political issues or just about kindness, I suppose. But to be able to say, I really, however, am a person in the world. I live on the same world and I'm a, I am affected by everyone's decisions in this world, not just the people who I recognize as like me or like-minded. God bless us. Or what, however you're going to, if I take out the God, which I'm perfectly content to do, and I think all the blessed, may we take care of each other, one and all, and support each other. So, Yeah. Everybody's in pain. I, th- I think I think that's a, a way to... I see that Jeff's going to say something too. Go ahead, Jeff. Um, I was um, thinking about this self and other stuff that you brought, and I suddenly remembered... <clears throat> I can't remember the fellow's name, but he was a member of the American Nazi bunch, and he left that and spends much of his time now. I heard of him in a while, but trying to get other people to leave that that I don't even want to call it philosophy that sickness 
Um, and um, in an interview that he did someplace at some time in my oh-so-cloudy memory, they asked him what got him out, what was the thing that started him out, away from this. And it turned out to be a flat tire in the desert. He had a flat tire in the desert. Motorcycles don't do well with only one tire. Um, and um, the person that stopped to help him was a Hispanic gentleman, Mexican-American, with a couple of kids in a pickup truck. Took him in, spoke no English. Took him to town, got the tire fixed, took him back to the bike. And, you know, this is not seating. This is the uh, swastika tattoos, the whole bone-in-the-nose craziness. And he kept asking the guy, why are you even bothering with me? I, I, you know, I, you know. And it turned out that the guy was saying to him over and over in, in English, um, in Spanish, and he only found out later what he was saying to him was, um, it is not, you, you do not deserve to die just because you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> This is the ignorance thing, right? We recognize self and other. If you recognize the error, recognize the error of someone else as ignorance, and then start loving them, yeah. loving them up till they're educated. Love them up till you educate them. Listen, we have to go because I have to be in, in Santa Rosa in an hour, so I'm going to have to levitate there uh, by locate. But I'll miss you next week. But I. Don't think the week after anybody happens to know. Next week, Heidi will be here. I am, and also the fifth. Good, I'm here for a while. This is what we do together. I'm very grateful for all of you. And I think, phew, just in this, you know, I'm thinking, this is a limit, there's a limit to compassion. No, that was wrong. There, maybe in the name of this talk, is there is no limit to compassion. If you're not there yet, there's a new, my friend of mine has written a new book called Are We There Yet? So um, if you're not there, then the answer is compassion. If you're not there yet, you're not finished. So I think. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll see you in two weeks. May all beings take care of each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.